Father, we are so thankful that you've given us your son, Christ Jesus. And Father, we're thankful that you've filled us with your spirit, your Holy Spirit, to guide us through our lives, Father, to remind us when we get out of step with your plan, to offer us a loving hand of correction, to protect us, to heal us, to feed us. Father, it's our desire to uh, praise you and worship you here this morning. Would you give each of us an extra blessing of your spirit and fill us? Give us the understanding of what uh, you have for us in these passages this morning. And minister to each of our needs. In Jesus' name, amen. Pastor David this morning was praying for our families and the enemy attacking because the enemy knows where the Lord does good. He has no hand against God himself. But he knows we're weak and he has a hand against us. Right? It's true. It's absolutely true. God's doing some amazing things in this body and this church and the people that he's working through. And even here this morning, I watched it. I came in a little bit frustrated and just grew. The sound system wouldn't work at all. Is this really loud? It is. It's humming back here. It's echoing on me. <laughs> I bet it's not throughout. But this morning I came in, the sound system wouldn't work right. And Daniel and I are getting frustrated. We're trying to fix it. And I'm telling you, right here and right now, the enemy pulled the chair out, literally, out from under Daniel. He flipped over, smacked the back of his head. So now we're frustrated and he's hurt. And he's like a guy. He's a typical guy. Women, when you see a guy get hurt, don't come up to him and ask him, are you okay? <laughs> it's abundantly clear they're not. We're embarrassed, we're hurt, and we're men. <laughs> we'll get over it. But it's happening in most people's families around here. It's happening in mine. It's happening around us. Some other hands going up. The enemy is attacking. We are doing good, solid work for the Lord. We are doing good, solid work for the Lord. <clears throat> so let's continue in that and be mindful, ever so mindful of the enemy. He'll be at your doorstep. Beat him back. Children can go to children's ministry. And if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Um, Rick will provide you with one. If you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, please keep it as a gift. If you have a Bible at home and just forgot yours, please return it to the back of the sanctuary at the uh, end of the service. This morning we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If you like to flip in your Bibles, I'd also open that up to Exodus and Numbers. There's a few references here. A couple. The whole thing. <laughs> in 
In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, we're going to go through verses 1 through 14, it says this. Paul says this. For I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses, into the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them, and the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. Our goal in life as believers at the end of our earthly life is to stand before God and hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful servant. Who wants to stand at the gates and hear, I was not well pleased? You were lukewarm. You turned away from me. Or worse yet, I never knew you. It has a lot to do with our walk, doesn't it? Here on earth. And as believers, what we do with that walk and how we discipline ourselves there are many, many Christians who wake up on Sunday morning, look around the house, find it, dust it off, and tote it to church. Put it under their seat, listen to the music, listen to the teaching, and go home and put it back in whatever spot it was. If you do that, I beg you to stop and to pick it up during the week and read it. Learn your history. Learn our history. And don't make the same mistakes that our forefathers did. It's a lesson book for life. It will teach you everything you need to know, everything you need to do, and everything you need to avoid. Paul says this, I don't want you to be unaware, brethren, and that's exactly what he's saying. I want you to remember where you came from. Paul is going to open up the history books on the Israelites. He's going to reteach them about their 40-year history as they exited Egypt, went through the desert, and into Canaan. They've forgotten, many of them. The people of Corinth are living about Baal worshipers, and they've begun to incorporate some of their culture, the Baal worshipers, into their own lives. They've partaken in some of that. And Paul can see it clearly, and it's got them way off track. What are you worshiping, he's saying? Who are you worshiping? You are either worshiping God Almighty or you are worshiping Satan. You either practice to follow Jesus, or you practice to follow demons. There are no other gods, period. 
there are no other gods. You are either following Jesus or you're following a demon. We need to constantly reassess our lives and what we're doing and how we do things, why we do things, and see, is that all about me or is that all about him? Am I servicing self? Or am I giving service to God? Many here have forgotten their history. 600,000 Israelites left Egypt. How many entered the promised land? Two. Of the 600,000 who left, who departed, the original two entered out of 600,000. Joshua and Caleb. That's it. 430 years they were enslaved in Egypt. And they had a 40-year march through the desert. It didn't take them 40 years to forget. It took them about four minutes before they started complaining. Four minutes before they started worshiping somebody else. Four minutes before they started serving self and focusing on self. They didn't have any self-discipline. And that's something that we need abundantly in our lives and to stick with it. And once we instill it, we need to keep it. Because once you remove that self-discipline for a particular reason, you go right back to whatever it is you were doing in the past that you instilled the self-discipline to avoid in the first place. There are many people, probably many of you here, or at least a few of you here, who have a problem with alcoholism. So you've instilled something in your life. I abstain from alcohol. And I abstain from people who consume alcohol because that stumbles me. And a couple of years into it, you feel good about yourself. And then you start going hanging out with Bob or somebody who participates in that. A couple of months later, you think, well, I can have one or two. A couple of months later, later you're back and you turn for Christ. Why? Because you've instilled self-discipline and you've removed it. It may not be that particular issue in your life, but something, if you instill and put into place self-discipline measures, keep them there. You put them there for a reason. God inspired you to put them there for a reason. 1 Corinthians 6.12 says, All things are lawful for t to me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. Some people have liberties that I don't. They've forgotten that. They took advantage of their liberties in the Lord of their position as a people. We need self-discipline. It's all too easy that we fall into a trap into our lives and we wind up somewhere where we never intended. Churches do that. Even churches do that. I mean, you can turn on a TV set any Saturday night or Sunday or Monday morning and watch what somebody's teaching, listen to what somebody's teaching. Don't do it. Because they're not teaching the gospel. They're teaching all about self. There's many, many, many pastors who can do it. You can bet if the vast majority, not all of them, but if you have 100,000 followers, you're probably not teaching, and you're on TV, you're probably not teaching the gospel, not the gospel of Jesus. You're probably teaching your own gospel. You have pastors who are completely and utterly unqualified to be in the pulpit teaching. We have them teaching things that should never be taught or spoken of from the pulpit. There are churches around, I read on the internet, 
that serve beer during their services. What are you doing? What are you teaching people on biblical marriages? It's a struggle for me. I'm a biblical guy. I follow God's rule. I just met with Kim and I just went with a new couple. And the first meeting I have with a new couple who are interested in marital counseling or marriage is the, uh, is the hardest for me because I have to ask the hard questions. You living together? How intimate is your relationship? Have you been divorced? If so, why? Those are hard questions to ask. At the, at the end of the day, I have to make a decision. Is this a biblical marriage that they're asking me to do or an unbiblical marriage? And if it's unbiblical, I can't participate in it. I won't participate in it. Because Scripture tells me not to. Tells us not to. Tells them not to do it. These people wouldn't care anymore at the, uh, in their walk. The Israelites ignored God's word over and over and over again. And Paul's trying to correct the Corinthians who are beginning to go down that path. Continuing in verse 1, it says, Our fathers were all under a cloud and passed through the sea. Now, for new Christians who haven't read a whole lot of Scripture, um, that might be a little confusing to you. Because if you say you're under a cloud today in America, what does that mean? <laughs> that poor guy. Daniel was under a cloud this morning. Did you see that? That chair got pulled right out from under him. He flipped back and he hit his head. He's under a cloud. Or he's depressed. That's what that means today in our culture. That's not at all what it means here. You need to know your Old Testament history to really get the richness of what God's saying or what Paul's saying through God in this. In Exodus 14, 26, it explains this about the cloud that they were under. This is a glorious cloud. The Lord said to Moses, oops, I'm sorry, Exodus 13, 21. The Lord was going before them in a pillar by day to lead them on their way and then a pillar of fire by night. So <clears throat> in the daytime, God was before them in a cloud, a pillar of a cloud before them so that they could follow him. You could see God as you followed him. How cool was that? And at night when it got dark, God changed how they saw him into a pillar of fire so they could follow him, and he was their shining light. I heard somebody say, actually reading this passage out loud, I was at... Uh, CIU, and they said, man, how cool would that be if we had that today? I'm like, it is that cool, isn't it? And they look at me kind of funny. I'm like, you are filled with the Holy Spirit right here. Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God is your pillar of a cloud to follow by day. And he's your pillar of fire at night. To have that and to know that and to see that clearly, you have to have this word on your mind and in your heart to follow it. And no matter where you go, you'll remember him and he will remember you and you will be able to follow him and know how he wants you to travel. Know your purpose in his kingdom because he's on your mind and in your heart and in your soul. They forgot. And the Corinthians were beginning to, to, to fail Passing through the sea, if you don't know the story of the Red Sea, in Exodus 14, it tells us about that as well. It says, the Lord Moses said, the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. So there have left, this, these 600 people have left Egypt. Dun, dun, dun. But they got the Egyptians hot on their trail. And the Egyptian army 
Israelites don't have an army. They just have some guys with a couple of swords, and this army's behind them. So they come up to the Red Sea, and the Lord says what? Moses, stretch out your hands. Moses is like, what? Lord, Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so the waters may come back over the Egyptians. So Moses lifts his hand, and the sea parts. It's not just a movie. It really happened. The Egyptians follow, or the Egyptians, the uh, Israelites follow through it, and they get to the other side of the sea, and then what happens? The Israelites, they're kind of dumbfounded. They're looking at these two walls of the sea. And then their commander says, well, follow them already. So they start following them. Moses turns around. He looks, and the Lord says, close your hands. In comes the sea. Out goes the Egyptian army. They're all done. God conquered them like that. Don't believe that story. Go over to Egypt now. Go to the Red Sea. What are they pulling out of it? Chariots. Still to this day, they are pulling chariots and chariot wheels out of the Red Sea. It's amazing how people say, God's not real. That kind of stuff can't possibly happen. They go to the spot where, because they're going to disprove the Bible, right? So they go over there, and they put their sonars in the ships, and they start floating around, and they see these pictures that come back up, and, hey, that kind of looks like a chariot. (laughs) That kind of looks like a wheel. Oh, maybe we should stop this expedition because it's not working out to our advantage. (laughs) The sea was here. It has been here. It'll always be here. It didn't go anywhere. And there's chariots there. Huh. I wonder if this story is true. How else did they get there? We don't need to ask that question because we know in verse 2, I'm all the way to verse 2. I only have 14 verses to go. The chairs aren't that hard. Verse 2, and all were baptized into Moses and in the cloud and in the sea. Baptized into Moses. And in the cloud and in the sea. They were baptized into the Lord and his mighty power, the sea, through their head, Moses, their leader, Moses. Paul is reminding them of that. He's speaking to them in those words that they would understand. There's an order to this, and we need to follow the order that the Lord has sent, that the Lord himself has ordained. We are baptized into Christ Jesus. We are filled with his Holy Spirit. We have his word and his ordinances to follow. We have his direction, and we have our head, our leader, our pastor, That's the order of things, and that's the way we are to follow. His job is to make sure that the word is taught and taught correctly. He doesn't always have to do it. He's gracious, and he allows other people to come up here and teach sometimes. But it's his responsibility. Mark my words, if I teach you wrong and he allows me to keep coming up here and doing that, I first and foremost, will pay for that. But so will he. So will Pastor David. It is his responsibility. You are his responsibility. That's a tough job. That's a heavy responsibility. But that's the way God ordained it. And I think Paul was pointing um, to God and to Moses to tell them, you need to listen to what I'm saying to you. 
These aren't my words. These are God's words. He is speaking to me to tell you to stop it. My two favorite words. I uh, spent a lot of money, spent five years at CIU. My master's is in pastoral counseling. And on the first day there, somebody said, I can save you a whole lot of money. I said, how's that? Counseling 101. I'm ready. Say, stop it. I'm struggling. I'm not in the word. Your response is, stop it. I'm not being obedient to those appointed over me. Really? Stop it. I'm being disrespectful to my wife, and I have a girlfriend. Stop it. If we could listen to those two words when people put them in front of us, we'd be so much better off. But we don't. God puts it in front of us and says, stop it, and we still don't listen. That's why we need corporate gathering. That's why we need corporate fellowship. That's why we need corporate worship. So you know that when I tell you this morning, when you come up to me and say, hey, how you doing, brother? And I say, oh, good. And you can look at me and say, no, you're not. Let me put my arm over you and let me pray for you and let's talk honestly about what's going on. Let's be brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 3 says, they, ate, <clears throat> they all ate the same spiritual food. If you don't know this, in Exodus 16, it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, they were grumbling. I'm hungry. I'm tired of this. I want more. Verse 16, uh, Exodus 16, 4 says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you. And you people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether or not they will walk in my instruction. So God reigned this from heaven. He said, you'll gather a portion for yourself, a portion for your family, no more than that. And you'll eat every day abundantly. Take what you need for you and your wife and whoever else is in your household. Just that, that's all you need. I will reign abundantly. You take what you need, but take no more than that. Did they listen? No. That manna, that God provided was what? It was a bread of life. It was Christ Jesus. John 6, 48 says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This bread which comes down from out of heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down out of heaven. Jesus Christ declares it himself. I was there then and I'm here now. Was, is, and is to be. Amen? Jesus was always there. God the Father was always there. The Holy Spirit was always, always there. Calling out to them, pleading with them to follow. How many made it into the promised land? 600,000. Listen to what God's saying to us. In verse 4, it says, all drank the same spiritual drink and were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. They had this tradition, the Israelites had this traditional saying that said that the same rock, not just a tradition, they didn't understand it, the same rock followed them from place to place to place. And as Moses was instructed, he would strike the rock and water would come from the rock. So they had 
put this tail in their head, but it's, it's the same rock. Just ke- God just keeps moving that, that rock from place to place to place, and Moses would strike the same rock, and water would come from it. How right they were. That rock followed them, and that rock follows you and I. And it's the same water. In John 4, 14, it says, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them shall never thirst. But the water that I will give them will come in a well of water spring up to eternal life. Christ is the rock. The Holy Spirit is the water. In 738, it says in John 738, He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will will flow rivers of living water. And we should ask ourselves of that every morning that, Lord, would you fill me with that river of flowing water that I might follow your direction, your will, and not mine. Because it is so easy to me to wake up in the morning and focus on myself and get going to what I need to be doing, what I want to be doing. Not his will, but my will be done. That's the attitude. That's what creeps in. Verse 5, he says, Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased. For they they were laid low in the wilderness. We already talked about it a little bit. Those aren't the words you want to hear. For most of them, God was not well pleased. It's an understatement because most of Israel's, because of Israel's extreme disobedience, their worship of Baal, their manufacturing of idols, their grumbling, their immorality. They were laid low in the wilderness. Even Moses and Aaron didn't enter that promised land. It tells you that in Numbers 20, verse 8. Moses angrily struck the rock twice in Exodus 6, 17. God told him, you go before the people, you go before the rock, and you strike the rock. Moses was angry, and Moses took matters into his own hand, and he struck the rock twice, which wasn't what he was told to do, and what was his punishment? He got to see the promised land from a distance, from a peak of a mountain to look over, and all the correct things he did, he was disobedient. He put matters into his own hands and was going to take charge in his way, not God's way. And Aaron, well, the second that Moses went up to the mountain, the people grumbled. Where's Moses now? He's left us abandoned. And Aaron said, I know. Let's fashion an idol. I mean, holy cow. Five minutes. You were supposed to laugh at that holy cow. Obviously, you haven't read the story fashioned a cow. Five minutes he's gone. Where's Moses? I got it. I got it. Holy cow. You know what? David's not teaching today. He's giving me a pulpit. Let's go fashion us a cow. It's not much different, and I'm glad you laughed because you would all run. There is not much difference in what just happened there. So he's getting replenished sitting beside his daughter. She's back. 
So he's getting replenished. He's getting refilled. He's allowing himself and his family to be filled with the Spirit in this way that they're fellowshipping together, hearing the Word, right? Well, he goes off and does it for five minutes and lets somebody else teach. You start grumbling. Well, where's David? We want Pastor David. Okay, he's not here right now, but you know, if we fashion ourselves a cow, we'll be good to go. We'll start walking that way. That's exactly what happened. I don't know why, but if I was God, I would have struck him down right there. I'm not God. God has a plan, a redemption plan. Now, these things happen, I'm sorry, in verse 6. Now, these things happened as an example for us. Hmm. So you think maybe I should go back and read and understand Numbers and Exodus? Because Paul says right here to the Corinthians that these things happened. These things that I've been telling you about happened as an example. I'm in big trouble. So that we could not crave evil things as they also craved. Pay attention to the mistakes of your father so you don't yourself make the same mistake. In verse 7 it says, don't be idolaters. They were idolaters. They crafted a cow, a sacred cow, out of gold to worship. How dare you? This God has been following you like a pillar in front of your face day and night. You can visibly see him and hear his direction. And he goes to minister to your leader and you walk away from him in five minutes and fashion a cow to worship? Didn't you see me? Didn't you hear me? Why he didn't smite all of them right then, I don't know. It's disgusting. But we do the same thing, don't we? walk out of church on Sunday after church we put this thing away who wants to go get hammered who wants to go to a strip club who wants to go it happens every day and it's disgusting that we would call ourselves Christians follower of Christ Jesus and the second we walk out of here, we, we challenge ourselves sometimes to see how immoral we can be. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to drink and stood up to play. They began to work in their own might. I stand under my own power. I'm my own self-made man. And God has something to show you about that. In verse 8 it says, Let us not act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Take heed. It may have looked like a heart attack, but God can and will take you out. The reference of the 23,000 is likely from Exodus 32. When he came back down, he saw what had happened, and he ordered the men who remained following God to pick up their sword and they took out 3,000 by sword. After that, God, out, God took out, although the number is not there in Exodus, 20,000 by plague in verse 35 for disobeying him, for following another God. Verse 9 says, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and we're destroying 
destroyed by serpents. Some of them thought that they knew better. I have a better plan than God has for me. And they'll go their own way, yet still call themselves followers of God and represent him here on earth in that way. In Numbers 25, it says, The people spoke against God and Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Complaining. For there's no food and no water, and we loathe, loathe, loathe this miserable food. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many of the people died, grumbling against the Lord. Lord, I'm hungry. Send me food. I send you manna. I send you Christ Jesus. I send you the Spirit. Lord, I'm tired of this manna. I'm sick of it. He sent them quails. Did they still complain? Bet your bippy they did. Probably my biggest sin is complaining that I struggle with. Grumbling in verse 10. Grumbling as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Whoa. That doesn't sound very healthy, does it? It's not. Grumbling against the Lord. The destroyer is likely the angel of God put before them in Exodus 32. He said, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit my punishment, I will visit punishment for them and their sins. 20,000 fell there. In Exodus 12, for the Lord was passing through to smite the Egyptians, and when he sees the blood of the uh, lintel on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door and not allow the destroyer to come into the house to smite you. So he has his destroyer and he sees those who are against him and he sees those whose desire of their heart is to go against him, not just myself. I'm not a very big problem, but when I start reeling you into my problematic, immoral life there is a heavy penalty to pay for that when we start stumbling our brothers and our sisters so the self-discipline I put into my life is not just for my issues but for issues of my brothers and my sisters that they too won't stumble I'll give you a quick example I don't have an issue with drinking alcohol doesn't make me sick um, I, I don't get drunk I don't fall down I don't hurt people I don't do that in front of people tons of people here who will be stumbled who would be hurt who would be devastated who could very potentially lose their walk or their way because of my actions I need self-discipline in my life. You need self-discipline in your life in many, many different areas. That's just an example of it. What self-discipline do you need to put in your life where you're not worship worshiping other idols? Football teams. North Carolina. Superman. He's not worshiping them. I don't grumble. Oh, it's 
a lie. <laughs> I have to put, <laughs> that's a huge lie. I have to put all kinds of things in front of me not to do it, and I still do it. I'll give you an example. The head appointed over us. Amen? He's our spiritual leader. A wall, a wall. Who just laughed? A wall, Paul's laughing. A wall. A 32-foot wall. I had to put that stuff up in front of me in a heartbeat, my self-discipline. And I had to go grab a hold of somebody else to help me with that self-discipline. So we're talking about the new building. We're doing stuff here and there, and we come up with this plan, and we're good to go with it. And then he comes back with plan B. And I saw plan B. And they asked for our opinions. So if you ask me for a, my opinion, what you're asking me really is what, do, what are we going to do? right? I mean, if you ask me for my opinion, you're going to use it, aren't you? Well, you asked other people. He wasn't going to use what the other people were saying. He just wanted to hear your opinion. So I gave him my opinion, and they went another way. They put a 32-foot wall up. It's ridiculous. That's what's going through my mind. It is not ridiculous. And I grumbled in my heart just as bad as doing it out loud. I grumbled in my heart about it. And the Lord went, bam! And brought it to the forefront of my attention. Who did I put over you? David. And what did David decide? 32-foot wall. And where did he want to put it? Diagonally. <laughs> where are we going to have it built? Diagonally. <laughs> it was in my heart. And believe it or not, I think I was well on my way to stumbling another brother in my grumbling. I wasn't doing it a whole lot out loud, but I didn't have to. You really don't know. If people don't know me, you don't really have to hear a whole lot of words from me to know what I'm thinking. I'm a little rough around the edges, but I almost stumbled a brother into it. And then I saw that happening and I thought, oh, I got to stop this immediately. I need to put my self-discipline in before I start stumbling people. Because I couldn't a heartbeat get the entire church against David and Irene in this plan for this 32-foot wall, and I could get my will done. We have a 32-foot wall, and we're keeping a 32-foot wall. I don't care if he wants to rip it down now, because in my heart, we have to keep it. <laughs> Verse 11, is that where I'm at? Now these things, oh my goodness, now these things happen to them as an example. Have you heard that before? Folks, go home, read all of Numbers and Exodus tonight. Know it. I'm kidding about tonight. Start reading it, knowing it. Know the entirety of your scripture, of your Bible. Make it a habit to know this stuff. It's important. If you don't know about Exodus and Numbers and you read this chapter, You'll be lost. You won't get the full meaning of what God's talking about to you, to us. In verse 13, 12, uh, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Folks, Jim Hyatt does not stand on his own will, his own accord. He was informed of that in 2003. I am not a self-made man. I do not stand without the will of God. If it has is his will, I will fall immediately. He will bend my knee. 
one way or the other. Verse 13, no temptation has overtaken you but which is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide a way to escape. What is that way to escape? It is self-control. If you are reading this, you will know what stumbles you in life. You will know what is difficult for you in life. And you will know that if I have to enter this place that stumbles me or difficulty, is difficulty from, difficult for me, speaking, I will grab a hold of somebody's hand who doesn't struggle in that same area and say, I have to go in here, go with me. Or I will abstain from it completely. I will remove it from my life, as you should too. You know what stumbles you in life. You know where your difficulties are. If it's difficulties and you need to be in that environment for one reason or another, you better bring brothers and sisters who are stronger than you in that area. God provided it for you. He says so right here. Carry this with you if not literally, figuratively, in your mind, know it, read it. You will not be tempted beyond what you are able. There should be a period there. But with the temptation will provide you the way to escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. There is nothing that you can't endure. We are filled with the Holy Spirit. We need self-control in our lives. How do you know if you have self-control in your life? Make an assessment. Who knows what the fruits of the Spirit are? I can no longer recite the fruits of the Spirit unless I read them or sing them. You don't want to. <laughs> Tony, Rip Tony Ripkema ruined me. No, it'll never happen. Sing it. I mean, <laughs> do, that. do that when we close. Galatians 5.20 says, 3 says, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, patience, kindness, <laughs> goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Make an assessment in your life. Do I have love? Do I have peace? Do I have patience, kindness, goodness? Am I faithful? Gentle? Do I have self-control? Against such things there is no law. I no longer want to be Jim Hyatt, fruits of the flesh. You know what the fruits of the flesh are? Same chapter, folks. One before it. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissension. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and the things of the like. You saw me wince there. I have issues that still need to be cleaned up, that God's still working on. I don't excuse them. You know what? I get angry a little bit quicker than I should. Right, Daniel? <laughs> I'm not afraid to call it out where it needs to be called out. I don't endorse it. I knew right where to go. I was sharp with Daniel this morning. I shouldn't have been, and I apologize. <laughs> I needed a little help, not a whole lot of help, a little help. 
My point is this. My point is this, I know it. Did you hear me say, it's okay that I do that? You deserve it? Did you hear me say that people should be like that? You know what, you should talk to people a little bit harshly sometimes so they would understand where you come from. It's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that I struggle in this area of my life and I do not in any way, shape, or form endorse it. I call myself out on it. Daniel, a brother in Christ, calls me out on it. Kim might occasionally call me out on it. Don't endorse your sin. Don't excuse it. God says it's sin. 600,000 people left Egypt. How many people got into the promised land? Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. The most wicked form of idolatry I can think of is worshiping self. Worshiping self. You need to put in measures that give you self-discipline. I'll close with this. It's a great example. Pastor Steve, you turn for Christ over in Lexington. He and I were talking last week about... Um, some of the fellows who go through the program and then come back in. And I said, why do you think that happens? And he said this. He said, I'll tell you exactly what happens. He says, they come here and they discover that they've been living their lives wrong and serving self instead of Christ Jesus. And they turn their lives around. But as they're turning their lives around, they do it by surrounding themselves by brothers and sisters in Christ and self-discipline, putting restrictions in their lives, staying away from things in their life that they know will make them stumble. And then they get out into the world where we are called to be, not of the world, but in the world. Amen? Amen. Well, they get in the world, not all of them, some of them. They get in the world and they remove some of their self-discipline, some of their controls that prevent them from stumbling. And five minutes later, they find that they're in trouble. The ones who survive put those self-controls back into place. Their brothers and sisters in Christ are surrounding them, and the ones who don't remove them completely and prayerfully find them back in a U-turn for Christ, relearning those lessons again. Because not unlike me, I need to learn the same lessons over and over and over again. But I pray, Lord Jesus, remove any idolatry that I have in myself. Father, give me boundaries and self-control. Give me an extra blessing of your spirit that you would remind me that I'm going astray and not following your word. Father, uh, give me the discipline to pick this word up every day and go through it and to know it. Not that I have bragging rights, but that I would know you more intimately every day. Father, we praise you and we worship you and we love you. You and you alone. Put that hedge of protection around us that the demons would stay afar, at a distance. Give them no power over us. 
And Father, when they do get in and they pull the little tricks and pull the chair out from under us, would you put brothers and sisters around us to support us and love us and prevent us from stumbling ourselves? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.